Welcome, everyone, to the very last podcast of Four Guys in a Comic. For 2017, that is. Yes, we're wrapping up the year, and I have with me the guys. Hey, guys. Howdy. What's going on? Oh, man, it has been quite a year for us. So a lot has gone on, really. So many great podcasts, interviews, and other miscellaneous stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I was looking at the list today of the people we've had on the show. <laughs> Man, for 2017 alone, it is just phenomenal. And I, I'm going to throw out some of the names, and you just, you know, throw out, oh my god, yeah, that was great, or, you know, whatever. But let's see, I'm going in order from January throughout the year, and I'm going to go this that fast. And shout out if there's somebody on there that you really enjoyed. Ash McKezzo, Tom Mandrake, Scott McDaniels, Liam Sharp. Woo! Yeah. Jeff Vita, Terry Parr, Matt Kowalski, Jim Starling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jim was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Jim Starlin is yes, great. That was a great interview. Um, Val Merrick, Eric Burnham. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we had the World's Largest Swamp Thing collection came on. Not as as well as the world's largest X Men collection um, on as well. Two Guinness World Record holders on the podcast. Uh, yeah, Dan Schuing, Alex Malone, Lloyd Kaufman. That was, that was fun. fun. Oh my goodness, and he was he was funny. Yeah, he really was. Uh, Drew Z- uh, Zucker, uh, Philip Sevy. That was I enjoyed that one. Uh, Larry Houston, Howard Chaikin. That was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there. Mm-hmm. Listen to the podcast yeah. and you'll know what we're saying. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right, right no, Mike? That, that, was, that was great. Uh, yeah, Mike Mike set us up for that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. as soon as soon as I met, Matt and I met him at the Planet Comic Con, we're like, this guy's got to come on the show because uh, it'll be interesting. <laughs> the two of them set him up, the two of them don't show up. <laughs> yeah. Like... yeah. It, that was, that was you know great. what I, I hate even more is I realized he did so much more stuff that I've read after we interviewed him. Oh, uh, don't you hate that? Like, yeah, it was like maybe a month later and I was sitting there like, wait a minute. Uh, I talked to <laughs> yeah. this dude. <laughs> yeah, he even did man thing stuff. Yeah. I'm just like, what? Uh. Let's see. Um, ben Goldsmith, Peter Samedi, Kelly Williams, Nikki So, Matthew Petz, D. Clarence Snyder. Ken Marcus, which was awesome. Uh, Devin Craft, Ron Friends, of course. Ming Chang, that was that was awesome. And that was actually not just us recording a podcast. We were all in the same room together yeah. with him and minus uh, me. Tyrone Selby. Sel- well, you, yeah, minus you, you know. <laughs> but that was that was a cool. That was really cool. I was watching through a yep. webcam. Yep. Uh, we had Justin Barr, Cinna Grace, uh, Donnie Cates. Fabian Nicienza. We also had Simon Furman, Jim O'Reilly, Tom DeFalco. That was yeah, fun. No. That, he was cool. He yeah. threw in a lot of insight. I mean, we've talked to a lot of people, but I feel like I learned a lot more about like what the inside of the industry yeah. is like from him more than probably anyone else. Exactly. Um, Wes Loker, um, Ashley Carter-Carnes, John Riley, Fred Van Lent, uh, Christoph Cage. Jerry Conway, John Mallon, and uh, Daniel Kibblesmith. And, of course, you know, the fine, outstanding gentleman that we'll be having later on in the show. So out of those, out of all those that I just read from 2017, what was the one that just was the best for you? Mm. Uh, 
Um, see, okay. I want Nova to go first. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll go first because there were a lot that I missed that I really wish I had. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, traveling with work, I missed a lot. But um, Liam Sharp, still one of my favorites. That dude was so much fun to talk to. He's rocking the awesome yes. accent. I mean, it was just it was a great time. Um, I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of his artwork, and and he he's just a great guy to talk to. Yeah, he really was. What about you, Alex? So, you know, I, I've, I've been there for like almost every, almost every interview. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a lot to choose from me, for, for me anyway. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that probably stuck out like a lot to me, uh, like I said before, was Tom DeFalco, but also his counterpart, uh, Ron Friends. Yes. Ron Friends was a very open guy and he was really easy to talk mm-hmm. to. Um, and it's someone that had been in the industry for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I might've been fanboying about his, uh, Spider-Man back then a little bit, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but, uh, I, I thought that he was really easy to talk to. And then always, uh, Larry Houston too. Yes. Larry Houston was a great time. And mm-hmm. I don't think we've had more, uh, fan participation in any other podcast, uh, interview besides his. Because when we told everyone that he worked on X-Men, the animated series, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, everyone that we told about it had questions. And I've yeah. never been bombarded with that many questions. Yeah, and on top of that, it was so cool to, you know, to talk with them and go through all that stuff. But I was going to say I was surprised. I thought you were going to put uh, Jim Starlin in the, on that list. I like talking to Jim Starlin. You know, he's yeah. like one of my favorite, like, comic creators of all time. Um, but at the time, I don't know. Um I thought it was great. He was nice. Um, I just, I don't know. I ran out of things to say really fast. And uh, yeah, it was, I don't know. It just didn't flow with me as well as I could. I wish, and I wish I could go back and talk to him again. I kind of wish I got a redo on it. Yeah. Well, we'll have to bring him back on eventually. Definitely. I say for myself though, Roy Thomas, that was just the pinnacle of my year that I mean that ended my year on the high note to be able to talk to the man and I mean speaking of which you know as everybody here and our listeners know I'm a huge Roy Thomas fan huge Marv Wolfman fan and I gotta give a shout out to you guys for my Christmas gift this year a Fantastic Four 168 CGC Signature Series signed by Roy Thomas and Marv Wolfman guys thank you this is just the, the great gift to end the year with as well you know just ah I got a lot of Thomas love this year. What can I say? I'm glad you like it. We'd spent some time looking around trying yeah. to pick out just the right thing. Yeah. Me and Tap were sending a lot of pictures back and forth to each other. I, could have, I bet. No, you guys did well. You did well. Speaking of Tap, you know, I wonder what he would say. I mean, I'm going to throw a name out there. I think for him, it was possibly uh, Ken Marcus. Definitely Donnie Cates. I, Donnie, I, was Donnie he, was Cates. He there? Was he there for that one? Maybe he wasn't. I don't, I don't he think was. he was. But he does like uh, Ken. Yeah, he does. He really mm-hmm. and and Philip uh, Sevy. That's and, right. Yeah, the, he was great with both of those. And uh, you know, he always likes to give a shout out to the guys whenever they he can about their books and stuff. Yep. You know, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of uh, creator owned stuff that came out this year that he was on the train for pushing. Yeah, he was, and he mm-hmm. did well. Matt did well this year. Good job, Matt. um but besides podcasts you know we've actually had some really great times interviewing people live uh you know i mentioned before that we were with uh tyrone uh, selby as well as um 
uh, Ming Chang. But we yeah. also got a chance to talk with John Wesley Shipp, the Flash, <laughs> the original Flash from 1991, who reprised his role again as Jay in uh, the current uh, series, The Flash. That was awesome, especially. Especially when he starts feeling Mike's muscles over here. It's like, man, you know, they have to buy a suit to get muscles like you, what you have. <laughs> that was great, yeah. I mean, I guess we're allowed to swear on here, so. Um, he's like, you work out? I was like, no, not really. He's like, get the fuck out of here. You definitely do. <laughs> that was great, as he's feeling up my shoulder. Um, yeah, it was, it was great talking to him. That dude's teeth are super white. Yeah, and, they are. Uh, He's just really nice. I mean, we're so talking Starenko White. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not big swole over here. Yeah, but that was fun seeing seeing Mike over here get manhandled by the Flash. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I let him know that if they ever need to cast someone for a CW show, I'm available. So I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, if, if, who would you like to be cast as? If 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 ship comes through, well, who what what role would you play on CW? See, I think I'd like to go with villain. Um, it wouldn't be a role I'd want to reprise in a further season. It'd be like one season, just let me do my thing. Are there any Canadian Flash or Arrow villains? I don't think so. Yeah. Well, I'll think about it and, and just shout out a random name later on in the episode. Yeah. Superboy. <laughs> oh yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, but at that same time, we also got to talk with William Catt, uh, the actor from The Greatest American Hero from the 1980s. Mm-hmm. That was a big fanboy moment for myself as well, growing up watching the TV show every, you know, every week. That was a fun interview as well. But uh, besides interviews, you know, we've had some other cool stuff happening personally in our lives. I think the thing that I'm most excited about is that after three years... Alex has finally finished reading Invincible. <laughs> Alex! Round man. of yes. You know, after all the hard time and all the BS we've given you over the years, man, I'm so proud of you. I got, I got a tear in my eye. I know. Oh, I on. know. It, it, it was a lot to read, too. I mean, that was like 120-something issues in a month. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't like to read that frequently, or I guess I don't have that much time to, but... Uh, there was a few days where I just pumped out like 12, 12 15 comics in like a day uh, near the end there because I only had like a week and a half left and I was like, oh no. <laughs> so, well, I had to throw that carrot over it, you know. <laughs> yeah. But all being said, and, you know, be honest, don't worry about our feelings. What did you really think about it all in the end? In the end, it was cool. I don't think that he should stop it. Yeah. I, I really don't think he, I mean, I know that the whole play is that, you know, it's his thing and he's making fun of other comics and stuff most of the time. But I really think he should hand it off to somebody. Oh, I agree completely. And why end it now when the movie is being made for it? Maybe it's a surprise. They're like, just kidding. This is a fake cancellation. Mm. Just making fun of comics again. Mm-hmm. I would I would be happy for uh. that. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, that would be something. But no, overall, um, to get a little more in-depth about it real quick, mm-hmm. um, I liked the middle and the end a lot more than the beginning. I think it took... I read two or three years of Inv- with of Invincible mm-hmm. and was like, eh. And then... And that's when I told y'all. I was just like, I don't know. You know, I was like on 50, 55 or something like that. Then the whole Vulture-mite-like thing picked up and I was more interested in that than anything else that was going on. Yep. And... Um, 
they shied away from that for a long time. Robot became an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, Oliver was an asshole. Yeah. Um, Cecil was an asshole. Uh, basically, everyone was an asshole. I feel bad for Rex. Rex explode. That is one character in there that I was like, I know he was like a jerk. But, but you felt bad for him in the end. You really did. Right. Yeah, he got his, like, two of his women stolen, basically. Mm-hmm. And then he blew up. Yep. And that was it. And everyone made fun of him the whole time and never really took him seriously. Yeah. 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 You, you did feel for him in the end. Um, but out of all those characters you named, who was your favorite character? I don't know. I thought it was Alan for a long time. Mm-hmm. I really did. I He's liked cool. Alan until he became head of the coalition. Oh, okay. I didn't like him as a leader. He was a shitty leader. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't know. It's hard. I like uh, Nolan. Mm-hmm. And then I also like um, Mark. I mean, as weird as that is. Um, but I think one of the coolest uh, villains in it, besides Thrag, uh, was Conquest. Conquest was a mean, mean old man. He, yep. he like... He did not care. He just ripping mm-hmm. people's limbs off and stuff. It didn't matter at all. Nope. Thrag at least like would hesitate and not just do it right away. Conquest was just like, nope. Yep, done. <laughs> Next. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was cool. I liked it. Um, you know, Battle Beast is cool too. Everyone, that's usually the most popular character, right? Yeah, Battle Beast is a huge fan favorite. Yeah. Who is y'all's favorite characters? All right. Well, I'll just say, for me, my favorite characters, I, I really do like Mark. You know, he's great. I like Eve. Uh, there's something about Thrag, though, man. He's, he's just cool. He looks like Freddie Mercury. Yeah, he does. No, well, Freddie Mercury is a Vultramite space you, alien. You can just see him going around killing people. Another one bites the dust. And another yeah. one's down. And another one's down. Another one bites the dust. Hey! <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, who is your favorite, uh, Nova? Michael? See, no, I, I haven't... I'm not completely caught up on the series, so I haven't seen everyone go through all their changes and whatnot. Um, obviously, like Mark, he's a great character, just because even, even if he does things that are wrong, you sort of... You, you grow with that character for, like, mm-hmm. 100 for, like, a decade. Um, so you, you sort of see him go through all those changes, and you can sympathize with him. I really liked... Uh, Dinosaurus as a villain mm. yeah. mostly because all the things he was doing he had good intentions like destroying Las Vegas to make it a huge mirror for solar power not a bad idea <laughs> like that would really help the planet um, but you know he he did things kind of the wrong way um, but yeah I mean Adam Eve is always a great a great character she's a uh, you know she she's Mark's anchor so to speak and um, yeah, she also goes through changes with her with her pa- losing her powers and or losing control of them and her weight, you know, her weight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. it's a there's a lot of uh, great character arcs for her as well. So, I mean, man, yeah. it's tough. Kirkman Kirkman knows how to write some good characters. I'm looking forward to yeah. uh, to his new series. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's see what else has gone on this year. Uh, I would say with Tap not being here, I'm gonna you know going out on a limb and say for him. You know, one of the big things was his voiceover stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, all the jobs to get doing voiceovers and being cast to voice the Punisher. That's pretty damn cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah he's a time traveler from the year 
2250 or something as well. <laughs> yeah, oh god. Yeah, I saw that video. I'm like, I know that guy. <laughs> Over 500,000 people have seen that video. Let's go ahead. And they believe he's from the future. <laughs> Some of them do. That is world. just awesome. It really is. It really is. You know, let's see. For myself, you know, starting up the comic pressing, that's a huge thing for me, you know. The comics that come through my hands these days are just awesome. So, oh, yeah. It's uh, how many presses do you have at this point? Over five? I, uh, I have uh, twelve presses. Each press, each press will press two comics at one time. Amazing! Yeah. Wow. So I, I can do some numbers. Oh yeah. And believe it or not, I'm getting people stuff done, but I still haven't gotten any of my own stuff done. <laughs> you shouldn't have gone public so fast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Should have given given a couple more months, right? Yeah. Yeah, but let's see what else is going on. What would you say was some of your biggest moments uh, there, Mike? Anything really I mean, exciting? Of course. I got to meet, I got to see Matt again. I got to finally meet Michael in the flesh, Red Skull yeah. in the flesh. Yeah. Didn't get to meet Alex, um, unfortunately. Nope. I still haven't gone to yeah. Texas. But, um, I mean, and where was that? At NovaCon. What? Like, of course, it was great. It was, uh, it was a pretty cool year. But aside from that, I mean, it's been a great year for someone who collects like hardcovers and stuff just been able to read a lot of amazing things there's actually marvel books i like again it's crazy Woo! <laughs> i'm reading x-men like what yeah i mean speaking some of that stuff let's talk in 2017 there's been a lot of good uh, arcs and series and things that have yeah. happened this year a marvel alone secret empire event that mm -hmm. was that was a big deal for me because you know being a fan of hydra to have this nice hydra event going on with all the crossovers and everything i really enjoyed it it could have ended a little bit differently it was a typical marvel event but mm -hmm. it, all in all it was hydra related so i enjoyed that aspect of it yeah yeah i don't know i i i liked secret empire but that was a typical marvel event and yeah. from there they moved on to their next big thing legacy now legacy is cool though it's i'm really different. enjoying legacy so far and um I really do think that they've been putting out some better titles now with Legacy. Um, I know that y'all can agree with me, like stories like Thanos and, um, you know, even I got Nova over here reading X-Men, like I said, even though it's not fantastic, but he's interested. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel 2 and one you know? 2 and one Yeah. yeah maybe we'll see some Fantastic Four mm -hmm. return in 2018. Hopefully. Knock on wood. Yeah, we had yeah. Uh, Eddie Brock as Venom again. Yeah. Thank God. Oh my gosh. But now it's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Got, uh. got the regular Wolverine coming back. And I mean, over at DC, I, I haven't exactly caught up, but Metal has like been metal? amazing so far. Yeah. Like metal. Yeah, I mean, that's what everyone says. Everyone's and there's raving some, about it. Yeah. And there's some covers to that metal that I cannot wait to pick up. Those covers are just off the chart. Gorgeous, like, yeah. Wow. You know, yeah. And I was thinking about a, DC. I was just going to say, we've had Doomsday Clocks starting as well. You know, yep, having the yep. Watchmen back. Jeff Johns the Watchmen are back. Mm -hmm. What about the, the four-issue arc, The Button? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was that was awesome. You know, put out those Letna covers with it as well. Yeah. Those sold big. Yeah, I mean, um, overall, like, DC's had a pretty good year. I don't know. I don't think too many people are talking about it. But if you actually read their books, they're they're great. I mean, even this past week, we've had... Uh, I don't know if you guys are reading it, but if you're not reading Wonder Woman right now, you should. Because um, at the end of Dark's... At the end of... I think it was in... Was it in Metal? 
all these things combined together. But anyway, we have like Dark Side returning in Wonder Woman of all books, um, which is is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Finally got to see Zeus in there as well. It was, oh, yep. If you're not reading Wonder Woman now, you should be. It's awesome. Yeah, Wonder Woman is just I I. That's the only DC in my pool box, and I'm glad it's there. Booster Gold's been in Action Comics recently. It's great. This oh, <laughs> these past few weeks are great. Oh I'm man, trying. I love Booster Gold. Um, other than that, you know, Image is wrapping up its 25th anniversary this year. They've done a lot of stuff this year. A lot of variant covers. Their blind box, which we don't need to get into details with. <laughs> not not one of the highlights of the... Yeah, of that the... was a flop and a half. Yeah, but I mean, they've had some really good series like uh, Baby Teeth and Rednecks. and mm-hmm. Extremity. You know. And then, yeah. you know, they finally put, uh, you know, the Here's Negan stuff from Image Plus all into one, you know, book. One hardcover, yeah. Yep. Yep. That was actually enjoyable to read. <clears throat> uh, really, a lot of good stuff for 17. I'm really looking forward to seeing what new stuff we have for 18. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm very excited. I mean, like I, like I sort of mentioned, um, Kirkman's starting that new series. I think it's called Oblivion Song or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think the first issue of that is out in March, so mm-hmm. that should be exciting. Um, I mean, I, yeah. here's the problem with Kirkman comics. They're great if you have, like Alex did, 100-plus issues to read, but mm-hmm. waiting month to month for those suckers, it's tough. It's hard. I couldn't it's do tough. it. It's if hard. I had to w- read Invincible month to month, I would have put it down so long ago because it takes forever to get through one arc. And it's the same thing with Walking Dead or Outcast. It's yep. just like, oh my god, I, you know, you just, you just like Walking, like both of them. I just have to, I just get my pull box. Okay, it's here. Well, pretty cover. I'm ready to read it, but it goes into my box, and I wait six months, mm-hmm. and then I binge and enjoy. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he tells great stories, but sometimes the the issues, especially with Outcast, there's so much focus on the artwork that you yes. just, you, you, it's amazing, but you flip through and you're like, okay, give me more. I'm going to sit here for 30 days, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but it was, and the thing though is his books, the, the number ones, they are certified to go up in value. So when his new book comes out in March, that's the number one you need to have in your pull box. Let's look at Outcast. You know, that came out at the 4.99 price, I think it was. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, you can't buy it cheaper than 30 to 40 bucks, I want to say. Yeah. And it's probably going to keep going up. I'm sure, yeah. Same thing with it, like anything Mark Miller does. Just mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to get a movie probably or a TV show. And yeah. Got to keep your eyes Most peeled. likely. Most likely. Um, did I forget anything about 2017? I mean, it's uh... it's tough to to try and think back on everything. Yeah. I got married. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Not only married, but you had... And and for those of you that didn't know, when he got married, him and his groomsmen all had Marvel Lego figures on their lapels. It wasn't all Marvel. I had oh, a was... guy with um, uh, what did he have? Oh, Doctor Manhattan. So okay, nice. Yeah, Not good right. choice. There, there, there's always one in the group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah, but nah, I mean, uh, aside from comics, we've had Thor Ragnarok. Let's see if we can name them all. Thor Ragnarok, Justice League. Um, was Wonder Woman? Uh, Wonder Woman, as well? Suicide yeah. Squad. Yeah. Wonder Woman, I think Suicide Squad. Yeah. Was that Batman versus? No, was Batman versus Superman? No, 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 definitely not. 
No, no, that Suicide Squad was that was like back in like March, I think. Okay, Justice League, of course. Yeah. Uh, Wonder oh, Woman, Gal- Garden of the Galaxy two. Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. two. That's right. I mean, there's got to be that's like a good one. Doctor Strange, I think also. Yeah. Doctor Strange. Yeah. Um, let's and, see. Stan Lee's turned ninety five. Uh, Today, last, last week. That's right. I guess it's yeah. Yeah, last week. His wife passed away this year. Mm. Um, there's been a few other notable comic book uh, passings. I just can't think of off the top of my head. I mean, we had um, Bernie Wrightson passed away this year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, was I think, it Darwin I think Cook? Darwin Cook was this year as well. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just gonna throw a shout out there to uh, Chester Bennington as well. Yes. Um, even though he's not comic book related. No. Yeah, still unfortunate. Um, I mean, it's you know some of these guys. Stanley, ninety-five. You know, it's uh it's, a, it's mm-hmm. one of those ages where you just don't know. Yeah. Um, it's like um, Ditko, Lee, Sano. Those are like the only like original guys left. Roy Thomas mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. 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 It's, it's dwindling, unfortunately, but you know what? A lot of great guys are coming out of everything, though. But speaking of great guys, I could I can think of one great thing that happened to me this year. Is sitting at home at my computer desk, the phone ringing, answering, and the voice in the is, uh, yes, is this Michael? I'm like, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, this is Jim Steranko. I'm just like, uh, no, really, who's this? <laughs> I think one of you guys are putting him up to it. I'm like, no, no, really, this is uh, Jim Stranko. What am I coming on your podcast, man? <laughs> that was just awesome you know we're talking to him about how mike needs to go out there and clean his leaves for him and (laughs) yep that's good that was that was good that was a nice call out of the blue i mean speaking i mean besides jim stranko calling the other great call we had is the one that we're about ready to go into now ladies and gentlemen present to you the last interview for God help us all. They're not well, the people f- under fifty, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. We, you know, our younger the ones who are saying Roy, who you know? Yeah, right? Roy, who? Who is this guy you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, maybe you can help enlighten them and give us a quick little rundown of exactly who Roy is. I don't know. Um, I'm just a uh, guy who's been writing and and uh, often editing comics for the last slightly more than fifty years, which is yeah. A ludicrously long time to be in uh, in an industry like that, I suppose. Yeah. But it's not it's not a record. I mean, Stan Lee's been in there long before me, and there are a few others that have been in a lot longer and are still around. I went to work in the uh, in New York in the industry in uh, 1965, uh, starting for DC, but very quickly moving over to Marvel Comics to work for Stan Lee when it was a very small organization just just a, a handful of people in the office and a bunch of and a, you know another handful of freelancers I wrote and edited 
for them for a number of years, uh, including being uh, editor-in-chief of the company for a little over two years in 1972-74. And then I went off to, to do my own work for Marvel after that. And in 1980-81, I moved over to D.C. for a few years and was writing and sometimes editing for them. And since the latter part of the 80s, I've been freelancing. Uh, I did a lot again for Marvel in the late 80s and through the 90s. And since that time, I've been doing a little comics writing here and there, but I spend a lot of my time on other things. I uh, uh, help stand out with and have for about 17 or 18 years now with the Spider-Man newspaper strip that's been running since mm -hmm. the 70s, and I've been with it since about the turn of 2000. And, um, and I do a magazine, Alter Ego, which is a sort of a, a, a comics history devoted mostly to the 1940s through about the uh, middle 70s, uh, and uh, I do a, a handful of online strips about Edgar Rice Burroughs characters, and mm -hmm. I'm developing a few uh, projects of my own, uh, you know, for potential future use. And in the last couple, few years, I've written a couple of books on comics, uh, huge, tremendous books, you know, they weigh about as much as I do, uh, on... Uh, <laughs> Marvel and, and the forthcoming one on Stan Lee, mm -hmm. and that's taken a fair amount of my time. And uh, otherwise, at the age of just turned uh, 77 a few weeks ago, I guess I should be retired, but I haven't got enough sense to figure out what to retire from, you know, so <laughs> I'm just hacking away here. Yeah, that was, a, that was a mouthful. Well, I suppose, I could, you know, it, it doesn't say what trigger issues, uh, what trigger comics or series, but then on the other hand, you know, uh, there are a lot of people around who've worked on a lot of different mm -hmm. series. I, I'm not, I haven't set any records or anything. I've probably written more than the average person who's been a comic book writer, but uh, it, it, as I say, there are people who have written a lot more than I have, uh, mm -hmm. but I was lucky to come along at a time in the middle 60s, uh, just about three years, in, three, four years into uh, you know, what Stan determinedly called the uh, the Marvel Age of Comics, and by mm -hmm. sort of getting a, a, in the engine of the, the train or something for a while, uh, maybe stoking coal or something, you know, it gave me a, a kind of an interesting perspective on the field simply because a lot of people come in, they write or they draw, but they're mostly concerned with their own series, and of course I was that too, but I was also concerned, especially during the, the rest of the 60s and all through the 70s, I was sort of concerned with, uh, you know, with the whole company at Marvel and, and then to a certain extent uh, aspects of D.C. as well in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. I was never really just uh, doing uh, just, the, just the writing. I was always doing some sort of editing, you know, my own work, uh, maybe a couple of other people's and so forth. And uh, that gives you a little different perspective because then you're, you're sort of part of the creative team, and you're sort of part of management, too, in a way, and you're having to constantly walk that tightrope, you know, and not fall off it, or try not to. Now, I wanted to ask, um, you know, you're obviously not short on ideas, but being an editor and seeing all these stories come through, did it ever, I guess, did they sort of blend together when you eventually, you know, continued to write, and were you sort of seeing yourself uh, look back at some of the books you edited, and, and not taking ideas, but sort of you know, drawing upon them, or maybe if, if that influenced Oh, your... if that got in the way of the writing? Yeah, yeah. Well, in a way, I, I had to balance things off. Uh, for one thing, I was working in an office uh, most of the time uh, in, the, in the latter part of the 60s and uh, the first year or two of the 70s. For a number of years, I was 
coming into an office uh, briefly five days a week, but most of the time two or three days a week. Uh, and that, and then the rest of the time I would be home writing or I'd be writing in the evenings. So, you know, I'm constantly, when I'm at the office, I wasn't doing any real writing at all. Uh, I mean, I might be rewriting somebody else's, uh, a line or two of somebody else's story or writing cover copy or something like that. But I didn't do any of my, uh, you know, my own writing on any of the series I was doing at the office. That was all done outside. So I'd have to put that aside for eight hours or whatever. And, you know, and then I'd get back to it. So I was sort of, yeah, constantly bouncing back between the various, the, the two different uh, hats I wore, I suppose. And sometimes they would, it would get in the way a little bit. I'd be wanting to think about a story, but I had to, you know, get up and go into the office and, and put it off until the evening or, uh, so sometimes, of course, it was, it was combining it too. I remember when I lived in Brooklyn for about a year, uh, right before I was, was married, I, I'd, I'd often, get up in the morning and realize I had to have some sort of plot idea to uh, give to an artist. And I had to sort of figure it out during the one-hour, you know, subway ride. And I, I usually came up with something by the time I got there and could call the artist and we could kind of fake something out on the phone if I didn't have time to write something down. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a real balancing act. But uh, that was just the way, you know, Marvel was. Stan was doing the same thing. And so I couldn't exactly, you know, complain. He was doing it on a, on a, on a higher plane with uh, as many or more series and uh so i could hardly complain now one thing you know I'll, i have to ask you about you know you're obviously credited for saving marvel back in the 70s with star wars <laughs> and uh you know thank goodness and you had the foresight to really you know uh, work with them and uh, make that uh adaptation from the comic from the movie i was wondering maybe you'll give us a little information how did that get started what got the ball rolling to uh get you to to get that script and to actually make the comic well, I don't think foresight was really involved, at least not on my part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think that, although I didn't know it at the time and for some years afterward, uh, I do think that it, it, it turned out by some weird happenstance, uh, the Star Wars comic, uh, especially those first six issues, but then mm-hmm. the, even the continuation to some extent for you know after that, uh, but especially that initial adaptation uh, did make a real big difference to Marvel, much bigger than it was intended to be, you know, and, and uh, whether the company would have survived without it or not, I don't know, but it certainly helped it out at a very difficult time and gave it some breathing space, and uh, you may have heard that when I that about 10 years ago when a friend of mine was in touch with uh, Jim Galton, who was the president of Marvel at that time, uh, and told him that uh, he knew me, uh, uh, Galton said to give him a message and say hello because he said, uh, and the quote that I was given was, he made me rich, <laughs> which I took to mean that by, because Marvel made so much money for, uh, made so much money out of Star Wars and was helped out such a big time, Jim, Jim Galton, who had been sent in basically with sort of what I now know was kind of a two-year mission or so to uh, either get Marvel turned around or they were going to, what, sell it off, sell off its assets or yeah. put it to sleep or whatever they were going to do with it. Mm-hmm. And somehow uh, several different things. But Star Wars chief among them uh, changed that around and gave them enough breathing time to uh, make adjustments to the changed marketplace and shape things up and everything. Um, and uh, so while I didn't get rich out of Star Wars, okay, well, maybe Jim Galton did. You yeah. know? Uh, <laughs> Somebody and, did. But that's okay. It was, my job was to, bring, uh, was to bring things to Marvel that would 
sell comic books, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought perhaps this, this project might, but I didn't do it at all with the idea that it was going to be some kind of blockbuster project for mm-hmm. Marvel. We had done a, uh, we had been doing a couple of movie projects at that time. I think they were just starting Logan's Run that I had nothing to do with, mm-hmm. and somebody had gotten, I think it wasn't me, but Stan has, uh, had gotten the rights, or somebody had come in and approached Stan with the rights to uh, adapting a Sinbad movie in, into a couple of comics shortly before that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, so this was just another thing in that in that line. Uh, Marvel wasn't very interested in doing adaptations because, you know, you can't really go anywhere with them. You, you, uh, you put out your two comics or your five comics or whatever you do to adapt the movie, it either it either sells or it doesn't sell, but then you know you don't own the property, so you can't do anything with it after that. And uh, usually, it wasn't really worth continuing anyway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, th- it was just something that uh, I got interested in and decided to push Marvel to do. And it turned out to be, you know, lucky for all concerned, I guess. Nah, but, yeah, uh, really. the actual person who's yeah. The actual person whose brainstorm it was, as I've always said, was a, a guy named Charles Lippincott, who was sort of the mm-hmm. he was the media projects director of uh, uh, of George Lucas and so forth. And uh, uh, you know, I had met George before, so one day in early 1976, you know, about a year and several months before the movie was going to come out, when George was just starting to film it over in North Africa, uh, this guy. Uh, came in my apartment, uh, introduced by mutual friend Ed Summer, and uh, he knew I knew about Star Wars in a vague sort of way that I'd heard George, you know, talking about it uh, about a year earlier at dinner, uh, but without the, the particulars not even being figured out yet as to whether the character was going to be named Luke Skywalker or Luke mm-hmm. Starkiller or exactly what the plot was going to be. So Charlie be- proceeded to tell me the story uh, and show a lot of production drawings, which were really uh, finished paintings by Ralph McQuarrie. And finally, when he, you know, I, I didn't think that this was something that was going to excite Marvel. I mean, you know, it might be, it's not that it might not be a good movie, but what did, you know, what did Marvel have to, uh, to, to benefit from it, really? And, uh, you know, and, or, or me, myself, if I, uh, if I wrote it or spent time with it. And then uh, Charlie turned over well, several drawings in the, uh, the drawing of what he called, uh, I guess they did call, he and George and other people associated with with the film, called the Cantina Sequence, mm-hmm. which was, you know, consistent of a shot of Han Solo, who did not yet look like Harrison Ford, uh, uh, because he hadn't been cast at the time yeah. the painting was done, I'm sure, um, about to slap leather with an alien in what looked like an old Western or Mexican bar or cantina. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and then I figured out, well, you know, this is really a space opera kind of thing, and and you know it, it might it might work out. It might be fun to do. And so I decided to, you know, to I would try to talk Stan into doing it. I guess uh, between myself and and uh, Charlie, whom I brought in, we we managed to do that, and uh, it worked out, you know, very well for for everybody. Now that Marvel uh, is owned by uh, Disney and Star Wars is owned mm-hmm. by Disney, I even make money out of the movie. I, I never made much in reprints off it. Mm-hmm. Before Marvel never paid much at, in, at, in, at that time in the way of reprints, mm-hmm. and uh, when Dark Horse was doing it, I get I, I was lucky to get a set of the comics, mm. you, you know, and everything. <laughs> but no money because they were giving all the money to Lucasfilm. They didn't bother to save any for me or Howard Shake and the artist. Yeah. And but now that uh, Marvel has it back, uh, you know, they they're reprinting the heck out of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I'm even you know getting getting. Uh, 
checks from time to time on it whenever they have an anniversary or a new movie or whatever. And fi finally, after 40 years, I, it, it's finally become kind of economically worthwhile for the work I put into it. <laughs> Only took 40 years, huh? <laughs> took 40 years, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, Howard never even liked the movie that much. At least I liked the movie. You know? <laughs> oh, that's funny. But yeah, Marvel cranks out so much Star Wars these days. You know, there's the Star Wars line, and they got the Darth Vader, and they have so many, you know, little side uh, yeah. minis going on. It's like, wow, it's so yeah. much. Of course, I only get anything from those first you know, 10 issues 10, that yeah. I wrote are from those little stories that are in Pizzazz <laughs> magazine. But that's okay because whenever they, you know, every little bit when they start reprinting something, they're going to start with that, right? Yeah, exactly. Got the, several different versions of it. And just the other day, I got some very nice, beautiful book from, uh, you know, from Spain. I don't know if there's any cash coming with that, but it, it's a very nice, you know, reprint book in Spanish and, and so forth. So it's, it's nice to see. Uh, I, I just never would have dreamed that all these comic books, I don't mean just the Star Wars, but the superheroes and mm -hmm. everything else, I never would have believed that all these things were going to someday be collected in uh, beautiful, you know, uh, hardcover or at the very least, uh, you know, nice soft cover trade mm -hmm. paperback form. It just, uh, it, the idea that I would have shelf after shelf, you know, uh, groaning under the weight of Marvel reprint books and, yeah. and, and DC reprint books and, uh, you know, and what, and all the Warren uh, stuff and a lot of other Golden Age material, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, plus all the newspaper strips. I mean, you know, uh, this, this has grown so much in the last 25 or 30 years, and it doesn't seem to be uh, stopping in no. spite of the uh, supposed death of the book. They still keep churning out a lot of books. Yeah, they are. They definitely are. Now, with all of that being said and done, you mean you, all of the things that you've worked on, is there anything that you kind of wish that you had worked on, something you kind of wish, like, man, I wish I, you know, dipped my hand in that one and took a crack at it? No, I'd, I'd still like to do a Justice Society of America book. You know, mm -hmm. I did All-Star Squadron, which was my own World War II mm -hmm. super version of it. Yeah. But I never really uh, did a regular series of more than a few issues of the Justice Society. It would have been kind of fun to do. I, I wouldn't be at all interested in the way they've done it in recent years where they, you know, ringing in a bunch of new characters and things of this sort. I'm, I'm not interested in that. I would have wanted to do it with the classic characters. I mean, maybe I'd bring in one or two new ones, you mm -hmm. know, just to keep it fresh. But I, wasn't, I wouldn't be that interested in, uh, you know, you know in, in anything. I was just mostly interested in the original characters. Yeah. For anything else, I'd read Marvel, I don't think there is that much. I would like to yeah. do, I'd, I'd always like to do more Conan. I've felt kind of crowded out of uh, Conan in, in recent years mm -hmm. and would like to do a little more of that. But I can't claim I certainly, you know, haven't done as, uh, enough of that. I've done hundreds of original adaptation stories of Conan. So, you know, it, it would just be a case of I'd like to, you know, I wouldn't mind doing even more, but that's not quite the same thing as feeling I missed out on something. Yeah, yeah. I know one thing in particular, one of my favorites is Sergeant Fury, and I just got to say thank you. I mean, you put out some great issues of Sergeant Fury, because I, I love I love my Fury. I did? I never noticed them. <laughs> I did about a year's worth, but yeah. I, I guess they were okay. Uh, but my friend Gary Friedrich, and he took it over, he, he, yeah. he came up with some more offbeat things, you know, about mm -hmm. war lovers and, and yeah. pacifists and things of this sort, and that was kind of interesting. I just did more stories of the kind that I felt that Stan and Dick Ayers had been doing right before I came on, and yeah. I enjoyed it, you know, well enough, but uh, it was certainly never a favorite series of mine to <laughs> to write. Uh, one of the things I was was kind of happy with was bringing in uh, a, a good German, you know, to uh, to be a member of the squad for a while. Mm -hmm. Since being of German descent myself, I 
hated to see all the Germans be Nazis, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the letterer and staff letterer, uh, Mori Koromoto, who worked up there, uh, we came up with a story, and we came up with, which had a, this, this sort of Japanese squadron in it, you know, because he had told me about how um, many of the uh, uh, Nisei, the uh, you know, first generation Japanese Americans, uh, fought in, in, in Italy. And so we made a story or two out of that. And, you know, I enjoyed a few little things like that, I suppose. I w what I would have liked to have done, and did try to do that some years, uh, not too many years ago, uh, I would have loved to have gone back in and done a kind of uh, uh, science science fiction war kind of thing with Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. You know, in, in a couple of the earlier issues, you know, they had, well, Captain America was in an issue, and Dr. Zemo and his yeah. death ray. And I would have liked to have... Uh, Done uh, and, and still would uh, to do the Howling Commandos against all sorts of uh, strange, you know, German and Japanese inventions and so forth. We did a couple. Dick and I did a couple of things like that. But I would have, I would have. That would have been a lot of fun to do. I, I don't just doing a, a regular uh, World War II comic, uh, whether relatively lighthearted or grim or whatever, didn't wouldn't really interest me that much one way or the other. But I would have loved to have done one with you know all sorts of scientific gadgets in it, sort of like a, a parallel version of World War II, sort of yeah. like the All-Star Squadron, and the Invaders were a parallel superhero version of World War II. Yeah, we, we really need to see uh, the Furies make a nice comeback. Maybe we can get you back on that. <laughs> okay, well, you, you, you call them and you tell them. I will. I'm going to get hot on that <laughs> Monday morning. And, and, <laughs> okay, give them my phone number. I'll be, I'll be glad to do it. Right, will do. <laughs> Having created so many characters uh, throughout the years, what's it like seeing TV now or the big screen? Are, are you following that, or is that sort of just just something you know is going on? No, I, I'm I'm fascinated by it. I mean, uh, I've I've gone to see all the uh, various Marvel and DC movies uh, pretty much ever since they started doing them. You know, uh, what must be fifteen, twenty years ago now, that they mm -hmm. sort of edged into it. I mean. You know, by way of Superman and Batman movies, I, I gave up on a few of those Batman movies in there in the middle. I think there are a couple there I still have. <laughs> you and I both. <laughs> but, uh, but once, but once in the last uh, ten or fifteen years, uh, when uh, starting with the X Men and Spider Man movies and and uh, so forth, and uh, especially when Marvel, you know, took control of its own destiny, and then two thousand eight started yeah. turning out a real what amounted to Marvel universe of movies. That that really interested me because, of course, I was always a continuity freak in the first place. I mean, I could quarrel with any number of things they, you know, might do with a particular character, whether one that I had worked on or hadn't worked on. But the fact remains that they, you know, they're, they're doing a really good job, I think, both uh, certainly commercially and I think for the most part uh, creatively, too. Uh, it's, I don't know if uh, DC is going to catch up. I haven't seen, except for the Wonder Woman movie, I haven't seen too much evidence of that yet. Yeah. I'll agree with you. But uh, you know, they certainly DC has the characters and the and the uh, and they've got you know they've got uh, a big budget studio behind them and so forth. So you know, and and maybe there'll be more triumphs like uh, you know, like Wonder Woman. I wasn't that wild about the Justice League movie. It, it wasn't as bad as I thought it might be. But any Justice League movie that didn't have Green Lantern in it, I'm afraid I, I was uh, opposed to it from the beginning. Yeah. Had no sympathy for it at all. Uh, but the Wonder Woman movie was good. Uh, I, I was never a big fan of the Dark Knight type stuff, either in the comics or in the movies, although those were good movies, but they just 
wasn't my cup of tea. Too dark, too grim, whether in the comics or the movies, you know, from Frank Miller on, just not my kind of thing. But um, I did like the Wonder Woman movie. That's the, right. one of the first things, that's maybe the first couple of Superman movies that I really liked, except that I have a real bone to pick with uh, DC and Warner on it. I do not understand why they are shortchanging the artist and, as far as I'm concerned, and anybody saying would be concerned, co-creator of Wonder Woman, um, the artist H.G. Peter. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not even mentioned in either mm-hmm. of the two movies. They give all the credit to Marston, and at the end they'll yeah. list everybody who, who could contribute anything that might be in the movie, like George Perez or Robert Kaniger and Andrew, and I'm not against those people getting credit, but where's the credit for the... Uh, the person who drew the first almost two decades yeah. of the character, who at the very least co-designed the costume, because you know there's no evidence that Marston ever drew out one, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just it's just some it's another one of these legal things like they had for years with uh, with Bob Kane, where Bill Finger couldn't be mentioned because of contracts and so forth. It's just another you know contractual deal where the a creative person gets screwed, you know, and that's it's kind mm-hmm. of a shame because I don't think that the people that are uh, currently at, DC necessarily, you know, want to do this. It's just, but it's just the way it's coming out, and it's just as unjust to forget uh, H.G. Peter as it was to forget Bill Finger all those years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those contracts were kind of kind of bizarre to hear about, and uh, just to hear how these creators were so, you know, so poorly treated. Now, uh, talking. Of- yeah, I mean, it's not going to help H.G. Peter. He died. Uh, you know, H.G. Peter died 60 years ago, so it's not really right. going to help him. No. But even so, you know, he should still get um, a credit on there. So you can give credit to Perez, Andrew, and a bunch of other people. You can give credit to uh, <laughs> to H.G. Peter. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, now you're saying you're currently working on a biography of Stan Lee. Well, it's not a biography uh, exactly. It's got biographical elements in it. Uh, it finally has a name, and it didn't even have one until the last couple of months. Uh, it's called the Stanley Story, which I guess makes as much sense as anything. Okay. Uh, it, it's it's another humongous book. I don't know. You know, I don't know what's going to cost. One hundred fifty, two hundred dollars. You know, mm-hmm. great bit, another great big book like the uh, uh, seventy-five years of Marvel that I worked on a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, and it's but it's 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 a, it's the story of Stan's career, but. As I said, I, I, there are biographical elements because you have to sort of talk about somebody's growing up and sort of what was happening in their life to a certain extent. But I haven't really. I, my mission was uh, my my given mission by the publisher Tashin was not to do a biography of Stan, but, but more of a a, um, a biography of his work. Okay. You know, to to uh, cover all the things that he's done over the years in his work with some some biographic elements in there to kind of, you know, contrast with it or, or to give it uh, context. But uh, in other words, it's not just a book about his work at Marvel. It's about his work, you know, uh, at the the couple of dot-coms that he started there, you know, uh, and, and still has going, uh, the little bit of work he's done for other comics company or his work in uh, in movies, cartoons, and things of this sort where he oversaw the, the animation studio for a while, and he's still kind of a consulting producer on the... Uh, the various movies and you know still comes up with ideas uh sometimes for marvel sometimes for himself at uh, pow entertainment mm-hmm. and so we, we wanted to cover all of that with a, and of course it's a, i know this will be astonishing to you but it's it's profusely illustrated <laughs> so uh you know a lot of pictures of, of uh, a lot of pictures of stan in there a lot of pictures of the various heroes and so forth that he's 
created for Marvel and other places over the years. And I think it'll, it's, it'll be a nice book. I, I think it may be coming out this summer. That's what they're finally shooting for after we kind of missed the chance to get it out for last Christmas because by the time Tasha could kind of um, commit to actually trying to get it out by then, it was kind of too late for me to devote the time to it that would have been necessary. So mm-hmm. uh, they're going to get it out, I guess, this summer. And if that gets delayed, at the very latest, it'll be maybe maybe it'll be in the fall, you know, like another Christmas book or something. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping for uh, summer. Oh, cool. I'm actually looking forward to that. It looks like a... Since you put it together, but I don't it's really, good. <laughs> I don't really see myself as a writer of many books because I've, I mean I've done about a handful of books, uh-huh. mostly about comics, you know, yeah. uh, about Stan or about Marvel or something like that, and one book about Conan's life and so mm-hmm. forth. But I really haven't done that many books that aren't, you know, just collections of comics or graphic novels. Do you have any others you've been thinking about so far? Once uh, the Stanley one comes out? No, I, I kind of after uh, being so busy with working those two in with my other work for the last uh, two, three, four years, um, I decided to kind of take it easy for, uh, for a little bit. So, and, and until I'm totally finished with the, the Stan Lee book, and I am except for, oh, I have to maybe rewrite a few captions that I'm mm-hmm. overseeing or, you know, proofread uh, a chapter and maybe, you know, change a few words here and there. But it's, we're almost done with it now. Um, and then I'll start thinking about some other projects i hadn't i didn't want to get into anything where i was committed to another deadline for a while because uh, i just got a little too busy i have a comic book project that i've been trying to uh i've had it drawn up and i've been trying to actually you know dialogue it and so we could try to market it for the last couple of years and the artist has been very patient about it so i decided before i did anything else before i start any other project i'm going to at least dialogue that one issue of the comic and try to you know see what we can do with that and then I've got a, a, a couple of book projects I want to do. One of them is to turn my um, my master's thesis of must be eight or ten years ago now into um, uh, into a book, uh, probably for uh, tomorrow's. You know, the company that does Alter Ego and the other books I've mm-hmm. a lot of the other books I've done uh, on All Star Comics, et cetera. Um, the book the uh, my master's thesis was on uh, the Cold War and the comics, you know, from the latter 40s mm-hmm. through, oh, I don't know, the late 60s or so anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly, you know, uh, when that ends, but uh, uh, but obviously by the late 60s, there wasn't that much of it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I want to turn that into a, a book, but it, I thought it would be real easy, and then I started looking at it, and I thought, gee, when I wrote this uh, master's thesis, you know, I had to write it in... Um, academic style, you know? Yes. I don't know if you've read a, a, a yes. PhD thesis or even a master's thesis, but yes. you know, mm-hmm. you're not allowed any flavor no. or, or flourishes or flights of fancy. It's just, mm-hmm. and it just, it goes against the grain for the way I write, and it's just, it's like pulling teeth for me to write that stuff or to read it for that matter. And so I'm, so I discovered, gee, I can, I can use the raw material, but I'm, but I couldn't stand to, to publish a book that read like that. I'm going to have to rewrite, you know, every, Every paragraph is going to have to be rewritten. It'll just it'll just be kind of an outline for a book. So it'll yeah. probably take a lot more work than I intended. Mm-hmm. And you don't see too much Cold War stuff. It's coming back, you know, in, in real life. So yeah, yeah that <laughs> maybe, is true. Maybe it'll start again. Well, you know, the thing is, when when Stan started it, when uh, Stan had some, and DC always shied away from it. They they were always if there there was anything about foreign agents, they were always very vague. You never had any idea what continent that they mm-hmm. were from, let alone what country. Um, 
when uh, Stan started in, you know, whether it, whether it was the Fantastic Four or the Hulk or whatever, there was a fair amount of Cold War stuff in it. It was yeah. it was handled a lot like the Nazi stuff and mm-hmm. so forth back in the in World War II. And I loved it. I mean, because you know, I had liked those 1950s comics. Remember mm-hmm. they, when they revived the Torch? And, yeah. But the problem is that in the 60s, the uh, the audience, a lot of the audience felt, I think, totally wrongly, that the situation with the United States and Russia wasn't anything like the situation with the United States and Nazi Germany. I think they were totally idiots. But um, uh, and I th- I think that the you know the Cold War stuff made a lot of sense. But if people didn't want to see it. Uh, Stan wasn't going to bat his head around, you know, trying to, uh, you know, to use Cold War elements that uh, people weren't interested in seeing. So he just gradually edited it out of the uh, mm-hmm. the stories, <laughs> or just flipped it over. Hydra did it. <laughs> yeah, it became, it became, yeah, Hydra, and and of course there was always room for that anyway. Yeah. I mean, by yeah. that, after, when you think about it, even in the movies, even you know the the James Bond novels were mm. Cold War novels. Yeah, they were. And yet, uh, and of course they quickly. Replaced uh, Smirsh with Spectre, you know, mm-hmm, yep. and all. And after the first couple of movies, you know, there wasn't anything anymore in there about the real Cold War. No. And then, of course, you came up with the Man from Uncle. All of a sudden, uh, there's an American and a Russian that are the heroes, and and so forth, you know. And and I guess that was all very nice, very kumbaya kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But I don't think it ever had much to do with what was going on in the real world. Uh, the, the real, the, you know, the the original Bond novels were closer. Than the man from uh, from Uncle, you know, yeah. was to uh, to what was really going on in the world. Mm. We were locked in a, a real Cold War struggle, whether people wanted to recognize it or not. And uh, just lucky enough, uh, we we managed to uh, you know come out more or less on top, at least temporary. Nothing is ever permanent, you know, in in history. That is true. I mean, your name first started appearing, you know, early in the sixties in comic books, not as a writer, but um, mm. in the letters pages. So I was wondering if you yeah. um, have you ever in recent years won to just send another letter into a random Marvel or DC comic, see if anyone realizes that it's uh, it's Roy <laughs> Thomas writing in again. Just to <laughs> no, <laughs> throw no, it back no. a I don't really read the comics much now. They maybe is fine for this this generation, but but you know, they, they over the last two or three decades, they've sort of you know kind of mostly ceased to uh, to interest me. Uh, I think it's because. You know, they're uh, they tend to be aimed. Well, you know, it, it makes sense. They're aimed at a, an older audience now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know what the average age of a comic book reader is now—30 or 40. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, I got nothing against that. You know, uh, there are people I know that are 30 or 40 years old that would love to be reading All Star Squadron if I were writing it. You know, yeah. without making a lot of changes. But the but the uh, the comics now they have a somewhat a, a different approach, and they uh, they're just and you know, so I don't have any interest in reading them. It's not that I'm not. It's not that I'm saying they're they're not good. They're and it's not that I think they're either better uh, or worse than what we did before. They're simply you know a different species of animal. And uh, so there and there are species of animal which, you know, when I pick it up and, and look through it, I, I I can sort of enjoy it and I can see why people might like it. But it's not. But but there's nothing there that makes me think, boy, I gotta I gotta pick this up next month to see. What happens? Mm-hmm. I mean, those days for me are you know kind of gone. Mm-hmm. But I but I I love the form. I'm really glad to see the form continuing. People have been predicting the death of the comic book industry since I don't know they were still predicting it when I got into it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, it's like that line in the musical chorus lines is "Don't tell me Broadway's dying. I just <laughs> got here." Well, that's the way I felt about the comic industry when yeah. I got in. 
Uh, you know, there were pe- even people were still thinking he was dying. I mean, you know, I was one of the first people to first new people to come into the field in in years. You know, I guess there was Archie Goodwin over at the black doing black and white comics at Warren, and Steve Skates was working for Marvel a couple of weeks before I was, and uh, Nelson Bridwell was doing a, mostly just doing letters pages and things at DC at that stage. He, although he had come sort of out of a, out of fandom. But that was it. I mean, nobody was, you know, artists were coming in, writers were coming in. It was just these guys who were, what, already 50 years old or so and had been writing comics mm-hmm. since the 40s and writing. And suddenly John Broom and Gardner Fox and Robert Kaniger and the guys who are writing the comics in the, the 60s. And, uh, you know, they, they were they were good writers. As it turned out, though, the only one who really had anything new enough or different enough to say to make any difference for the new era was Stan. The rest of the guys were good. I mean, I, you know, I'm a big admirer of what John Broom, Gardner Fox, and some of these guys did, uh, but they weren't advancing the farm into the 60s exactly. They were still, you know, doing the 40s kind of comics, mm-hmm. and Stan sort of stumbled into doing a new kind of comic, and it, uh, it worked very well for him, and I, I guess in a way for the whole field. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I remember hearing um, Neil Adams talk on a podcast once saying, I think he came to you, at Yeah, well, I remember when I, when I met Neil, uh, he doesn't, but I, uh, it was... Uh, when he was just working at D.C., he had just started doing some stories at D.C., and, you know, he was one of the first art, new artists to be coming in the field, too. This would have been about, what, 67 or something at the, uh, something like that, 66, 67, and I ran into one of these, we had these first Friday kind of events, you know, once a month we'd get together at somebody's apartment. It wasn't mine at that time, although it was sometimes, and, uh, you know, and I ran into Neil there and, and so forth, and it was it was interesting because he was, like, one of the first new artists to be coming into the field, and uh, you know, he was already very accomplished because he had a newspaper strip before he got into the comics, and he was uh, doing these war comics and so, one or two stories like that was all I had seen. But I was really very impressed with him, and I remember you know telling him, "Gee, if you ever get interested, you know, uh, you know, come up to Marvel, you know, and everything." And and uh, sometime later on his own, you know, uh, kind of forgetting that conversation, he did anyway. So. But, uh, you know, and, of course, the other first in coming in there, I guess, you know, uh, about that same time, a little before Neil, maybe, was, uh, you know, was Starenko, mm-hmm. and uh, who was, you know, uh, I met him in 65, just a couple of weeks after I got to New York, but, and he was starting to kind of work, try to work his way into the field, and about a year later, he managed that. But, you know, these, we were all kind of anomalies, you know, there just weren't that many people who really wanted to do it. And all of us managed to make kind of a difference, certainly Neil and Steranko and even I in my own way and so Archie Goodwin, you know, we, we, we came in and we all, you know, we all liked what had been done before, but we had some different ideas of our own and, uh, uh, you know, it, it, we sort of, you know, we became a kind of a, I don't know, thesis, antithesis, you know, antithesis. Neil and Steranko and me and a few others. So um, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you, I mentioned obviously you've done a, a whole bunch of Conan the Barbarian. Um, uh, I've unfortunately only been able to read the stuff that Barry Windsor Smith uh, did on art, just because that's all that Dark Horse decided to collect in their in their hardcovers. But um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I mean, having written so much Conan, I think you had mentioned earlier too that you would you could keep writing more if you had to. Now, I mean, it was that yeah, was that did, always did you, did you say that did you say that the other stuff besides Barry's hadn't been collected? I didn't quite get what you uh, mean. Yeah, well, well, I have these two um, hardcovers from Dark Horse that collect. Oh yeah, they did uh, the two hardcovers uh, that, that Dark Horse yeah. did, but they but they collect, but they 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 put out everything that uh, 
by me and other people for the entire run of, uh, what, 275 issues has all been printed in quality paperback anyway, not hardcover. I'll, but, have, to, uh, uh, I'll have to track those down. Yeah, it's it just they decided to give this deluxe treatment to Barry stuff to show off the art and everything, you know. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, they've, but they, they've all been reprinted, everything that uh, John Buscema and I did or that I did with Gil and other people and so forth. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's really very nice to see because, uh, you know, I, I hated the idea, you know, that you, you do this book and then it comes out and then a month later it's kind of thrown away, here's another one and so forth. And, I mean, I never threw them away, but I was aware of the fact that, you know, it was meant to be kind of a disposable culture, you know, that until, the, until around the 60s. Uh, nobody had any thoughts that anybody was, was ever saving this kind of stuff. I guess they knew, well, okay, there might be some truckfuls of stuff up in some people's attic here and there, but, you know, the idea that somebody would buy the comic book and read it and then save it, you know, and, and, and maybe read it again later on as opposed to either tossing it away or forgetting about it totally, uh, and that somebody could consider it a collection as opposed to uh, just something they'd throw away, uh, that didn't really happen, I don't think, uh, on much of a scale until at least the early 60s. It started happening, I guess, because of the the fact that there were older readers from the very beginning when uh, DC started doing The Flash and Green Lantern and Justice League. You had this generation of people like myself who had grown up on comics in the 40s and who had just been waiting for that kind of stuff to come back. You know, we, it's not that we ever went away, it's that the, those comics went away, and when they came back in some form or other, we were there waiting to read them again. I mean, we weren't kids anymore, and we had to read them on a little different level now, but, you know, we could still enjoy books that were written basically for a younger reader as long as we kind of liked the characters. We just, you know, we weren't, we weren't reading them with the idea that they were adult literature. Uh, and then, of course, Stan came along a couple of years later, and slowly the comics became a little more adult. Uh, he, I think he was consciously uh, aiming at an older reader uh, and so forth, and uh, he, he got those older readers and a lot of the younger ones, too. And, of course, that changed the nature of the comics field, and we end up with these average 40-year-old readers we have today, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, uh, I'm still on the younger side of that average. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. We, we need, we need to, there, there need to be more, you know, comics for kids, you know. Unfortunately, nobody seems to have found a way to do that. They don't seem to be economically, you know, possible now. And, then, yeah. you know, then there are, uh, you know, you, you need, there need to be the equivalent of the old, you know, Donald Duck and Fox and the Crow and mm -hmm. comics and so, and, you know, and, Archie and so forth, uh, and a few of those things, a couple of those things are still going in one form or the other, but it doesn't seem like that's what the comic book uh, business is ever going to be again. No, not even close to it anymore. And, and it's not mm -hmm. that I'd want to see it I mean, change to become totally that. I wouldn't want to see it throw away what it's become, uh, you know, or, or what it's been in between, which I like even better. Uh, but at the same time, it would be, would be nice to see... Uh, you know, younger readers coming in there and being able to pick up something about a funny duck or a, mm -hmm. a mouse or a squirrel or something, and, and you know, and uh, as well as uh, adventures in which the cosmos gets destroyed. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, mostly now, I mean, for younger kids, it's just whatever, it's just mostly cartoon adaptations from what I've seen, My Little Pony and, mm -hmm. you know, um, whatever other shows yeah. young kids are watching, I think yeah. that's, that's where my yeah. list ends. yeah. Well, of course, that's what the old comics, mostly the best of them were anyway. I mean, after all, what was Donald Duck, you know, but a, a cartoon yeah. 
that uh, a license to comic books. Uh, even the Fox and the Crow, you know, it was 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 a licensed cartoon. Although the cartoons were so obscure, nobody ever uh, heard of them. You know, and uh, you know uh, other things like that. Uh, you know, they they were. It's just that uh, you know it would be nice to see. Uh, a little experimentation, and at that time, at least you had, uh, you did have a lot of comics that weren't adaptations of cartoons. And nowadays, you probably don't have that because uh, they figure, well, in order to get enough sales, you're almost going to have to have something that the uh, reader already recognizes, as opposed to something that the reader might pick up just because it looks interesting and he he likes it. And in order to do that, you've got to kind of take a chance. And nobody's nobody's taking a chance on that kind of thing much right now. No. And I, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying it's a pity. All right. Um, so, Roy, is there anything else that you're work, currently working on or anything that you'd like to uh, put out there for our listeners to uh, know about? No. I, I, actually, of course, not that it generates a huge amount of income. It was never designed to. But uh, I probably spend more time nowadays on uh, my comics history magazine, Alter Ego, than I do on anything else. Mm-hmm. If, if it made money commensurate with the amount of time I spend on it, I'd be wealthy, a wealthy man, you know. <laughs> but uh, but it's really more something that I just wanted to do when the comics work, you know, I was still getting comics work, but it slowed down a little about mm-hmm. 15, 20 years ago. I decided that, uh, you, know, you know, what would I like to do? It might bring in not too much money, but a little money, and somehow or other I ended up uh, doing alter ego. Actually, somebody else suggested that I do a section of a magazine you know, to revive the old Alder Ego magazine that I'd been doing earlier. And then as soon as that got going for a few months, they, uh, they decided, well, no, it's, you should really do a whole magazine. I didn't know if I'd be able to, you know, come up with enough stuff to fill it. But here I am, the 150th issue of the third volume has just come out. And uh, the next year or so's worth are, you know, planned. And there's a lot of stuff uh, on the shelf for beyond that. So I, I guess it could go on forever. I always th- I always think of the uh, the very snobbish science fiction fans in the early '60s when Alter Ego and Don and Maggie Thompson's comic art and, and a couple of these things were coming out, and some snobbish science fiction fan said, "Well, you know, nobody's going to be interested in the uh, the comic stuff very long. In a couple of, in a, two or three months, that you know, the, you know, a year or two at most, they'll they'll run out of stuff to say and it'll all die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and of course." You know, I'm, I don't know where that science fiction fan is now, but, uh, you know, but Alter Ego is still going on, and uh, the mm-hmm. comics are still going on, and uh, now the world has kind of uh, discovered them. Of course, what the world's really discovered is not really the comic books. What the world has discovered is money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. The the, the the only time comics ever got any respect in newspapers was when there was uh, money involved. Yeah. It started off with, uh, hey, boy, Shazam, old issue of Superman sells for $3 or something like that, or $100 <laughs> maybe yeah. finally, you know. And and then and they progressed to uh, now uh, action number one sells for a million dollars, which is just mm-hmm. the equivalent of what they were doing 50 years ago in, in headlines. And now, of course, it's the grosses of... Uh, you know, of Wonder Woman or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Thor Ragnarok or, you know, and uh, now yeah. they, they try to stir up. Pe- pe- even even people who never read a comic book know about the rivalry between Marvel and DC now because they've been reading about it in the newspapers because supposedly Justice League was going to be the challenger to the Avengers and the Marvel Universe, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I, I think of a friend of mine. Uh, he's a retired Air Force officer here in South Carolina, 
in his 60s, I guess. He's a little younger than I am. And uh, he uh, he's a big comics fan and has been for years, Marvel, DC, different things, as well as science fiction and other things. And so he loves to go to the Marvel movies. But the interesting thing to me is his wife, who is, all, who is if anything, a bigger fan of the, Mar- of the Marvel movies in particular than he is, so they end up going to see him two or three times usually, <laughs> and she has never read a comic book in her life. Oh, wow. You know, but 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 so you you uh, she doesn't knowing anything about what Thor you know was in the comic books, uh, or what you know, or that Ant where Ant Man came from, or what the difference might be between the Ultron of the comic books and the Ultron of the movies. Mm-hmm. But she loves the movies, you know. So and, and of course nowadays the comics have become kind of the tail on the dog, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. that uh, you know uh, Mar- Marvel is you know doing all right, DC is doing okay, but you know. I think I think it was all kind of I think the final uh, straw in that was when uh, everybody at DC had to move out to the West Coast to keep, if they wanted to keep their jobs because <laughs> they wanted them, they wanted them out there in Hollywood where they could really do the bidding of the movies as opposed to being a, a, a semi-independent entity in New York and mm-hmm. I found that kind of sad but uh, you know it's inevitable you know and and if if I were uh, in the field now I guess I'd have been ready to move out to LA from New York too. Yeah. I, I just came on to answer questions, so I didn't have any particular agenda of anything I particularly wanted to say. If, if, if you got anything worthwhile, fine. If not, just you know, toss it away and call somebody else, I guess, and try to get a better interview. <laughs> no, it has been great. We really appreciate this you coming on today. Thank you so much. Okay, well, thanks. I'll, I'll see you later. Okay, have Bye. a great evening. Thanks, Roy. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.